Good morning. <clears throat> that was kind of anemic. Uh, good morning. Thank you. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open to Luke chapter 9, verses 23-24. If you don't have a Bible, uh, help yourself to one right in front of you there. And if you don't have one of your own, make it your own. We'd love for you to take it. This morning I'm going to be talking about intimacy. I know that's a concept that can kind of freak people out. So let's, let's begin with something less scary. Let's talk about um, moms and babies for a minute. I don't know if you know this, but when babies are born, they cry a lot. And uh, they don't really have any other way of communicating. I mean, that's what they have to do, let, let you know what they want, what they need. Um, the trouble is, it's not always obvious what the problem is, what they're trying to communicate. And I know dads, <laughs> dads can have trouble with this. I know I did. You know, the kid is crying, and you're trying to figure out what's wrong. So you just kind of process of elimination, you start just trying things. Well, pick the kid up, you know, bounce him around, rock him, bottle, change him. Um, you know, if things get really desperate, change the channel from Sports Center over to Teletubbies or something. <laughs> Is that show even still on? Did it finally die? Yeah. But if, and if all else fails, ask your wife. Ask your wife, because moms often just seem to know. A mom can listen to the cry and just, you know, and just kind of say, oh, he's tired. And sure enough, kid needs a nap. Or, oh, he's hungry. Well, then you give him a bottle or mom feeds him and all is right with the world. Or, uh, oh, he needs his diaper changed and he wants his dad to change it for him. <laughs> and at this point, dads become skeptical. Is the kid really asking for me to change the diaper? But you can't argue with the baby whisperer. They, they just know. And moms, moms just often have this, uh, this intuitive, intimate connection with their children, with their babies. In fact, that is one of the most intimate relationships there is. Uh, a mother is usually able to know what the child wants, what the child needs when no one else can. I'm sure you've been in a room, maybe friends, relatives gathered, and there's a baby, and all of a sudden, you know, the baby starts screaming, and pretty soon that kid's getting passed around like a hot potato, hoping somebody will have the magic touch, and then mom walks into the room, and the baby just hears her voice and calms down. That's what you call intimate knowledge. Knowing and being known at a deep level. What if I told you that that is the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you? Knowing and being known at a deep, at an intimate level. It's kind of hard to fathom, isn't it? In fact, it might seem really weird to you, or it might just sound really scary. 
And that's why I want to talk about it, because I think we are prone, I think we're prone to think about God in ways that miss this really important truth. I want you to think for a minute about the scripture, the main passage we've been looking at in this Not a Fan series, and it's Luke 9, 23 through 24. And I want you to listen to the invitation Jesus gives here. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now when you hear Jesus give that invitation to you, because he says, if anyone... When you hear him give that invitation to you, does that sound to you mainly like a job to do? Like a task to perform? You know, follow him. With emphasis on the word follow. The job, the task. Or, when Jesus says follow me, does it sound more like an invitation to to know a person. Follow him, emphasis on the him. See, I think a lot of people assume that when it comes to God and what God expects of us, I think a lot of people think of God as mainly a taskmaster. A taskmaster. Pleasing God is, is all about knowing what tasks he wants us to do and making sure we do those tasks just the way he wants us to do them. So, when Jesus says, follow me, it sounds like this big task, this big job to do, this great big thing. But what if that's not really the main thing God is after? What if it's not so much about the tasks he wants us to do, as it is about the person he wants us to know? Now, I realize the Bible talks a lot about the things God wants us to do. But above all that, above and beyond all of that, there is this big, amazing truth that just keeps coming up again and again and again as you read the Bible. And this big, amazing truth is God knows us and He wants us to know him. And the type of knowledge he wants us to have of him is a deep, intimate knowledge. Knowing and being known deeply. I want to highlight just a few of the places where we can see this in the Bible. Okay, There are a lot of places that talk about this, but I'm just going to shine a spotlight on a few of them. If you go back to the very beginning, if you go back to Genesis, the Bible talks about God creating humanity in His image, male and female, and it says He blesses them, and He puts them in a beautiful garden. And then it says He comes to them in the garden to walk with them. Now, they hide from him because they've sinned. 
But in that very act of hiding, we see what got messed up when sin entered the world. Humanity is now hiding from God instead of walking with God. Then later, much later, when God sends Moses to rescue the people of Israel from slavery in the land of Egypt, and he's going to bring them into the promised land where he can bless them, they can enjoy his blessing. God has Moses build this special tent called the tabernacle that's going to be built right in the middle of the camp, right in the middle of all the people. And this was the forerunner of the temple that was coming later, that would be built in Jerusalem. And God explains the purpose of this tent. Listen to what he says in Exodus 29.45. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. You see the point? The point of the tabernacle is so that God can dwell right in the middle of his people so they can know him. Still later, God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah and he talks about the new covenant that he's going to make with the people of Israel because they kept breaking the old covenant. And God says this, Jeremiah 31, 34, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And then there's this verse in the book of Hebrews where God tells us very directly what he wants, what pleases him. Hebrews eleven six, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, notice that. It does not say we must believe that he rewards those who do a bunch of tasks that he wants us to do. It says he rewards those who seek him, who draw near to him. So, from these verses and from many others, I conclude that when we hear Jesus say to us, follow me, I believe he means for us to hear that mainly as an invitation to seek him, to draw near to him, to know him. And the knowledge he has in mind is an intimate knowledge. Now, as I said, this this whole idea might just be kind of a foreign concept to you or um, sound pretty scary. Maybe it kind of freaks you out, sounds weird. Knowing God intimately? What, what does that even look like? What, what does it take to know God intimately? Where do you even start? Well, there is a very real sense in which 
That's really what the whole book is about. The whole Bible is all about that. That's the reason Jesus came, that we could know him. But I want to just, this morning, point out a few core truths, a few core truths that we need to embrace if we are going to pursue an intimate knowledge of God. These are the the truths we've just got to grasp. These we've got to cling cling to them, in order to pursue an intimate knowledge of God. Here's the first one: you've got to realize that God knows you intimately. You've got to realize that God knows you intimately. Already, He knows you intimately. We're not we're not starting from zero here. Okay, this is not like a blind date. Two people who don't know anything about each other. God knows us deeply. Um, David describes this in Psalm 139. So I want you to look with me at verses 1 through 6. And, and as you hear these verses, I just want to encourage you, let yourself be amazed at how much God already knows about you and the f- He loves you anyway. See, that's the really crazy thing. It's, it, it's not just that God really knows you. It's that he really loves you in spite of what he knows. And this is one of the reasons we're, we're careful not to let people know too much about us because we're afraid if they knew too much about us, they wouldn't love us. Well, God knows everything and he loves you anyway. That is staggering. Look at this, Psalm 139, verse 1. For the director of music of David, a psalm, O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all <laughs> with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. There is nothing about you that God doesn't already know. You know those things about you that you hope nobody else ever finds out? God already knows them all. All of them. He knows you. And when we... Look at that. When we understand that in light of the cross, which we're going to be celebrating later around the Lord's table, when we understand that God knows everything about us in light of the cross, in light of the fact that Jesus died for you, that Jesus offers you forgiveness, that Jesus invites you to come near to Him, to follow Him, this is incredibly liberating. I mean, think about it. Jesus knows everything about me. And he still wants a relationship with me. And so I, when Jesus died for me, he made a way. He made a way for me to be free from all of my stains. And from all of my stupidity. From all of my failures. From all of my junk. And know him. So I don't have to hide from him like Adam and Eve did. He already knows. What is the point of hiding? 
He already knows. And still, he invites me to draw near. So I, I can let go of my fear. I can let go of my pride. I can let go of whatever gets in the way between me and knowing God. Second, core truth to embrace. Believe that God wants you to know Him intimately. God wants you to know Him. Now, I I think it's mind-boggling that God knows me that deeply, that intimately, but what's far more mind-boggling is that God wants me to know Him. In fact, God wants me to be motivated, motivated by a desire to know Him. God wants that to be my motivation, a desire to know Him. Now, we see this in the example of the Apostle Paul. Now, in this series, Not a Fan, we've been using this language, fan, be a follower, not just a fan. Well, Paul was not a fan. He was a completely committed, sold-out follower of Jesus. And he did a lot of remarkable things, amazing things. He experienced very severe um, persecution, suffering because of following Jesus. What motivated him? What motivated Paul? What fueled his passion to follow Jesus? What, What was it that drove him on? Well, he tells us in Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 4. And what I want you to see here, look at the contrast between what used to motivate him and what motivates him now. He says, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. What's he talking about? Confidence in the flesh. He means if anybody thinks he's got reason to brag before God because of how hard he's tried and how how much he's kept the rules and you know how how much he's achieved by his own merits his own efforts that's what he means what i've been able to accomplish on my own i have far more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of israel of the tribe of benjamin a hebrew of hebrews as to the law a pharisee as to zeal a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law blameless you can't touch this guy He was all about how great a guy he could be by his own efforts and what he could achieve. And then he says, but whatever gain I had, I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of, look at it, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from keeping the rules, from doing the rituals, but that which comes through trusting in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may, what's the word, know him that I may know him. Paul was all in. 
I mean, Paul was completely sold out to Jesus. He was willing to follow Jesus wherever he led. He was willing to do whatever Jesus wanted him to do. But when you get down to his core motivation, when you look beyond all of the impressive things that Paul did, you discover that his deepest passion was not doing things for Jesus. His deepest passion was to know him deeply. Now, this is not an either-or thing. It's not, well, you either know Jesus or you do stuff for him. It's not an either-or. But what's the deepest passion? What's the driving force? What's, what's, the, what's the pursuit? Knowing Christ leads to doing things for him. Jesus wants us to know him deeply. That's exactly what he wants for all of his followers. For some reason, For some reason, the creator of heaven and earth has extended to us an invitation and said to us, I want you, I want you to seek me. I want you to draw near to me. I want you to know me. He says to the prophet Jeremiah, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You will seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And that brings me to the third core truth we've got to embrace. Fans choose head knowledge. You could say fans prefer head knowledge. Followers pursue intimate knowledge. Followers are not content with head knowledge. Followers want intimate knowledge. Now fans, you can always tell a fan, because a fan knows all the stats, right? Ian McIntosh, what's the Raiders record? Owen something. <laughs> Ian's a fan. He knows the stats. You Seahawks fans, what, what's their win-loss record? Isn't there a Seahawks fan in the place? Really? Ooh. Fans, fans, diehard fans, they know the stats. You know, or fans of celebrities, they know the stats, they know the info, they know the facts, because they read the tabloids, or they read the websites, or whatever. Fans love information. Fans know the facts, but they don't know the person. And it's the same with fans of Jesus. They know the facts. They know all about Him, but they don't know Him. It's like what Jesus said about the religious leaders in his day. They knew the book. They knew the book, forward and backward. They knew the theology. They had all the facts. I mean, they could quote you chapter and verse, anything about God. If you had a question about God, you go up to those guys and ask them a question about God. Bam, they had it. They knew the book. And Jesus called them what? Hypocrites, pretenders, 
He said, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips. They know the facts. They can quote the facts. They've got the theology. They've got, they know how to say it. But their heart is far from me. That is a terrifying word, far. Their heart is far from me. These guys who were saturated with Bible, their hearts were far from him. God says of these well-educated, well-informed Bible scholars, they claim to know me, but they don't know me. They're pretenders. They don't know my heart. They don't even want to know me. They have no desire to know me. They're just fans of God. They're not followers. This is scary. It's scary to me because I know the Bible pretty well. You know, I went to seminary for six years. Yeesh. Actually, it was six of the greatest years of my life. I loved every minute of it. But I mean, I know this book pretty well. I've been reading it a long time. And many of you know your Bibles pretty well. And I hope, I hope you love to read the Bible. I do. I hope you love to study it. I hope you do study it by yourself or with, in a small group with other people. I hope you love to study it. I hope you learn as much Bible as you possibly can. But please, please, please remember this. The goal of Bible study is not knowing the Bible. The goal of Bible study is knowing God. Knowing God. Not knowing about God. Knowing God. We cannot expect head knowledge to replace intimacy. Although we might try. In fact, I think it's, it's easier. We try to substitute head knowledge for intimacy because it's easier, it's safer. It's easy to say, yeah, I know all about Jesus. I know all about Jesus. He doesn't want me to know all about him. He wants me to know him. He wants me to know him. Is that what you want? Is that what you want? Will you embrace the close and intimate relationship Jesus wants to have with you? Because see, with that intimate knowledge, with that intimate relationship comes the forgiveness and the purpose and the joy and the peace that only followers experience. Fans don't. Is that what you want? Then make that your heart's pursuit. Make that your heart's pursuit. Tell him today, Lord, I want to know you. Do whatever you have to do in my life. Bring into my life whatever you need to bring into my life. Take away from my life whatever you need to take away so that I can know you, so that I can produce you. Help me. Help me pursue you. Make him your heart's pursuit. Not some abstract objective 
knowing him. Let's pray together. And I'll give you an opportunity to tell him that if that's what you want and give myself the opportunity to and if if you've been off track and this is a good time to correct your course and say, you know what? I've been pursuing the wrong thing. Help me pursue the right thing. Lord, I need to know you. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, I would just ask you to pray a very simple prayer. Lord, I don't know what it means to know you. Show me what that means. And if you'd like to talk to me or uh, somebody you're here with, Let's talk. Or later when we turn in those welcome slips, if you've got a, a request, or you'd like a conversation, just note it on the slip. I'll follow up. But right now, I just want to give us a moment to pray. And if you want to know the Lord, that's what He wants for you. And you just receive His invitation and ask him to help. Go ahead and pray. Lord, I I confess that many times when I have thought about that invitation you give to follow you, it, it has sounded like a hard job to do. Instead of thinking about the incredibly wonderful, delightful person you're inviting me to know, to know yourself. And I pray you'd help all of us who struggle with this, for whom the concept of being intimate with God sounds scary, it sounds threatening, it sounds dangerous, it sounds weird. Lord, will you just overcome all of our crazy thinking on this and help us just see your beauty, help us see your glory, help us know how wonderful you are and help us pursue knowing you, because you have already pursued us. Lord Jesus, you've already come and died and risen from the dead so that we can know you. And our sin is no longer, it doesn't have to be an issue. And so let us come, and let us hear your invitation and respond. And we thank you so much for that invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.